Welcome all survivors, helpers, and allies of sexual trauma. This is the FOF Podcast. We help match you with resources for your sexual trauma healing journey. We want to help you increase your confidence and handle life the freak out free way. We are Claire and Dr. Sadal, two sexual trauma specialists and resource matchmakers committed to your healing and ours. We tackle S trauma topics in a way no one else does. So we will listen to you later on the FOF podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the FOF podcast. I am Dr. Sadal. And I'm Claire Horner. And today we have a wonderful guest and we're excited to talk to her. Her name is Anna Donaldson. But as always, before we get started and dive into our conversation, we will take a good five to 10 seconds to get centered and gather ourselves and all get on the same page and get ready for a wonderful conversation. Okay, well, let's jump right in. As I stated, we have a great conversation today with Anna Donaldson. Hi, Anna, how are you? Hello, hello. It's wonderful to be here. I'm doing great and excited to be able to join in this conversation with you today. Absolutely. We're excited to have you. Claire and I um, were just talking about, we're typically excited about our um, interviews. And so this is definitely one that we're excited to have today. Something that we do, Anna, for the beginning of our most of our interviews is we start with the same questions. In the context of sexual trauma, we always ask our guests, what are your thoughts on identifiers, like how you would identify or how your clients would identify themselves, whether that is victim, survivor, thriver. What are your thoughts on that, on how individuals who've experienced sexual trauma, how they identify themselves or how would you think the best way to identify ourselves? That is such a beautiful question. I think it really speaks to the diversity of people's healing journey, really, because the label at the end of the day doesn't necessarily give us a path forward if it's not meaningful to us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we we put the energy into words and the meaning behind them and being able to choose one, I think is very powerful. I myself would say that I would be an ally. I have worked with a few of my clients that are survivors, some turning into thrivers if they were mm-hmm. to, I'm sure if they were to choose they would choose that word. And I think it really just pinpoints where we feel we are on that on that movement forward. I love that. That was a good one. I love that answer. The <laughs> Thank meaning you. behind the word. And so we put the meaning behind the word. Mm-hmm. I love that. That came out of a conversation I had with someone. And then I started thinking back to conversations I've had with clients and in my own head. And, you know, just I think that it's an, how we identify or label or call our experiences is indicative sometimes of where we are in the process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people don't want to use a word at all, which is absolutely fine. And we we need the space to to do that as well. Mm -hmm. So you are, we're in different places. We're in lots of different places today. I'm in, (laughs) I'm in San Diego, California. Sadal is in Atlanta, Georgia, and you're in Ontario. Canada. I like geography. And a lot of our listeners may be from the US and may not have a mental picture of that 
Ontario is massive. Yes. And so to hone it in a little bit, I actually looked it up and to see where you are. And I, it seems like you're near Toronto, uh, like north of New York, if, if we were to... Yeah, so I'm about an hour east of Toronto. So I, I like to say I'm in the GTA because everyone, I think, resonates with Drake's The Six. And uh, kind of <laughs> we're just leaning into pop culture a little bit. But basically, when you look at the map, it's that little piece surrounded by all the Great Lakes. That's really... In that area, I've lived in a couple different spots. But right now, yeah, in a little place called Whitby. And very close to Toronto. Nice, nice. Awesome. We like to connect with people all all over the place. So how would you say you got to where you are now? Which could include parts, any parts of your journey or story you'd like to mention or your professional path? Well, buckle up because it was full of detours. I had such a interesting start to my career. I think I've always been drawn to social sciences. They just were very easy for me in high school. I really enjoyed it. I love the theories. I love learning. Very easy for me to nerd out about it. And so when I started post-secondary, I jumped into psychology because it felt like a natural move. And then I decided, well, I don't want to sit in an office and just take notes of people talking to me. That sounds boring. Boy, was I naive because that's the juicy part. (laughs) But I was on a student exchange program in Whitehorse, which for, I guess, our American listeners, that is right next to Alaska. So very cold. And one of my professors was teaching outdoor psychology and wilderness adventure psychology basically introduced me to something called recreation therapy, which is utilizing our recreation and leisure pursuits with the goal, like therapeutic goals. And I'm like, well, that sounds fun. And it was fun. I finished my degree. I launched into work, predominantly working in long-term care. I also did a bit of work with youth living in foster care. And through that work, I was like, I kind of, I kind of like the conversations the best. Like I love connecting with my residents and knowing their stories and just taking that time. And, you know, when you have a caseload that like I had at the time, I didn't have much time to spend individually with each person and really get to know their heart and their story. And so I went back to school. I went back to get my master's and full circle, <laughs> came right back to that office to sit in a chair and make notes. But it wasn't until the pandemic where I'm sure many of us can resonate that it really shook up our lives in mm-hmm. many, many, many ways. And for me, it was the introduction of living with PTSD. Working where I was, it came with its challenges. And so trying to find answers to my experience, probably many of our therapist listeners would maybe resonate with is I had to learn about it. Like, what's happening? Give me the theories. Give me who are the giants in the field right now? I want to know. And I started learning how much I really didn't know. and. I think I became almost enamored with this part of our field that can create such substantial change, but isn't really given the limelight that it should, in my personal opinion. So through my own experience, both 
professional and personal, I think it's brought me to where I am today of my understanding. And, you know, I was thinking about this a little earlier because I thought, you know, uh, what if one day I listen to his podcast five, 10 years down the road, be like, well, I knew nothing then either. <laughs> and Probably will. Right? right? It goes to show that it's you're constantly learning and we do the best we can with what we have. And when we mm-hmm. know better, we do better, which I believe is a quote by Maya Angelou. Mm-hmm. And whether we're, whichever chair we're sitting in as the clinician or as the client, both of those resonate they both apply. So that's kind of been the briefest summary I can offer because there's, there's a, I mean, of course we all have our own details in our journeys, but I guess that's the best way I can briefly bring it all together. Wow. I actually like the way you weave that in and told your, like you said, full circle journey of having one interest and thinking you wanted to do one thing and then having full circle figuring out that actually the part that I didn't think I liked is actually the part that I'm most passionate about. Mm -hmm. I know part of my start was I used to get in trouble for how much time I took with my individual rehabilitation clients. (laughs) And I was supposed to take like five minutes and I'd take 20 and then I'd spend way too much on that part of the report. (laughs) Oh, good Mm -hmm. for you. Good for you. Right against that machine. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. How can I do this and not get in trouble? <laughs> That's funny. So it's interesting that you started out doing recreational therapy work and kind of helping people be more use their physical recreation and physical interest to heal or to work through a therapeutic challenge. And so that kind of leads to the work that you actually are doing now sitting in the office, taking the notes, but it's a lot of what we like to call body work, right? Yes. I wonder what are some of the ways that you've discovered that we use our body and how we express stress? Because we don't necessarily talk about that connection between stress, therapeutic concerns or issues in our body and where we hold it and all of that. And trauma. Yeah. Specifically with trauma. Yes. So I'm curious if you can share a little more about in this question, do you mean in reference to like what I brought with me from recreation therapy or just in general, what I've learned? I think a little bit of both. I think there is a connection between what you brought with you from recreational therapy, but I think for our listeners who don't have any connection and aren't able to make that connection, having that general identifier about the body and stress. Yeah. So this is, um, we're now getting into like the the pieces of therapy (laughs) that I love the most. So buckle up. (laughs) So I guess the way that I can explain the somatic version, or I guess the, I'm going to try to find the right words here. When we look at trauma's impact on our mind and body, which to me are not mutually exclusive, they're intertwined. Mm -hmm. I like to actually do a little exercise with my clients to demonstrate it's a very gentle exercise and uh, great for people who are able to visualize. And it's really just if you were to imagine holding in front of you in your hands the cutest little baby animal you can think of. It could be a duckling. It can be a little bunny. It could be a kitten. doesn't matter if you were just to take a few seconds and really just imagine holding that little animal. Maybe it's twitching its nose, maybe it's peeping, or maybe it's little muse. 
and notice how your body responds just to that beautiful imagery. For me, I know I feel a warmth and a loosening in my chest. Some of my other clients have kind of, as we're doing the exercise, I see a big smile start spreading on their face. And that really goes to show how, you know, we have our emotions, we have our feelings. They're actually pretty different. They, they're expressions of the same thing, but feelings are in our body. They are felt. Emotions are that experience. Mm -hmm. And when we're looking at trauma, it's our body's way of taking the information it's gathered from not as lovely experiences as holding a baby bunny and doing its best to protect us moving forward. Mm -hmm. What I really, really stress with my clients especially is that our body's doing the best it can, but that doesn't mean it's comfortable. And that doesn't mean it's wrong. Because there's almost like this perception that when we're healing, we're automatically feeling better and everything, like all that goes away. It's a lot of time for our bodies to be able to kind of not let their guard down, but rather get new information, almost like convincing it slowly over time that, yes, we're safe. Mm -hmm. There are things our bodies are going to do that might startle us, like when it comes to nightmares, for mm -hmm. example, or if we get tremors in our hands or hyperventilating before having a panic attack. These are all ways that our body is responding to something that might in some way remind it of something harmful from the past. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about the fight and flight response in our bodies, mm -hmm. we have fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And sometimes they come up in ways we don't expect. So for example, if we look at panic attacks, that could be flight, but we're, we can't really leave. We can't really mm -hmm. move. So our body starts moving almost internally. When we go through experiences of freezing up there's been times where I know I can speak from my own experience where I felt my whole body freeze literally without the cold, but mm -hmm. all my muscles just locked and I mm -hmm. couldn't move. And it can be frightening because we were used to having control in our bodies and all of a sudden our body's like, no, 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 I got this. I'm taking the wheel <laughs> without permission. I just yeah. going for it. So I think the more we learn about that kind of body language that maybe isn't spoken about often enough, mm -hmm. the more space we have for understanding and compassion, which then leads to being able to tend to those responses in meaningful ways. And that's where the work really comes into play. Do you have any thoughts on how our bodies and our nervous system really mm -hmm. isn't always aware of time, meaning that some of Sometimes our responses are old, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. We are responding again. We are triggered. We are going through an experience that we've had before. Mm -hmm. And our bodies don't know it's in a safe zone. It's, it is actually technically safe. It doesn't feel safe. And therefore, the body is taking over. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on thoughts on that, on the timing and how our bodies respond. Yes, that is such a good point to bring up. I suppose the best way that I can speak to that is 
when we think about memory, it's rather complicated. (laughs) There's lots of different types of memory. Many of us might know about short-term and long-term memory. Not many of us might know about implicit and explicit memory. And our bodies remember. If we think about even for those of us who know how to ride a bicycle, you don't have to sit down on that bike and be like, I need to put my foot on the pedal. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put my hands on the bar. No, you sit and you just start going. You remember how to keep your balance and move forward. That's a form of implicit memory. When we look at trauma, trauma is in and of itself an event that will impact the body in the way it recalls things and what it recalls. Our body doesn't always know if something is happening right now or in the past. As -hmm. an example, if any one of you has experienced a nightmare and you wake up, you feel like it happened. Mm -hmm. Our, Our body doesn't know that it was a dream. Our body's just, you're waking up either crying or, or just feeling distressed because it feels real. Mm-hmm. The same can be said with explicit and implicit memories that our body doesn't always have the capacity to be able to tell the difference. But that's when there's also things that we can do to help remind our body. And that's that tending when either we ourselves can do it or someone who's with us can help our body remember that we are, yes, we are here. We are in our mental home in a safe space. And that kind of encouragement helps bring the body back down to a place of rest. Yeah, I love that that connection and explanation of that. We've been talking about body and connection and trauma, but we haven't even gone through what that actually is. Can you define somatic and what that means, whether it be therapeutic interventions or just having folks understand what somatic is and what that means as it relates to trauma? Yes, so somatic is one of my favorite words. (laughs) (laughs) And it really just refers to bringing a focus to the body. When we think maybe of traditional therapy where maybe some of us picture Freud with his big pipe and the conversations about dreams and all that stuff. But when it comes to therapy and the work that we do, and, and in my opinion, especially when it comes to trauma work, we have to be able to include the body's response in order to move through trauma because a lot of our experience is nonverbal. Thank Trauma- you. Yes. Yeah. Traumatic events are not only maybe remembered in our mind, so to speak, if we mm-hmm. were to separate mind and body, which once again, mm-hmm. I'll say it to me, it's the same thing. Our mind is in our body, therefore. <laughs> yeah. But it shifts the perspective from being able to talk about what happened, which is not always helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able, mm, I, I feel like there's probably quite a few listeners also going, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not a pleasant thing to discuss. But we can tend to the reactions our bodies are having and find healing without having to verbalize and speak about Mm. what happened. And that's the difference between, I guess, the cognitive or the mind or speaking verbal Mm -hmm. version of therapy and then including the body, which is that somatic lens. 
I love that. I love that. Are there certain clients or certain situations where somatic work is more helpful or do you feel like it's a technique that you can use with any any or everyone? Beautiful question. It's definitely not the greatest fit for everyone. I think they're just like any form of therapy. There is no one size fit all because we're all so different and our experiences mm-hmm. are different. Somatic therapy, because it brings attention to the body, might not be the best fit for people who are struggling to reconnect with their body. For It could be from a place of dissociation, mm-hmm. from a place maybe they're in their healing journey where it still does not feel safe to even reconnect with the body. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Your body's still going to be there for you no matter what, when you decide to reconnect or not. Mm-hmm. And it might also be worth considering anyone who's experienced difficulties like eating disorders or if there are chronic illnesses where focusing on the body brings distress or discomfort. There needs to be flexibility with whichever clinician that you're working with to be able to adjust how much, I guess, focus is put on it. Other people might thrive. You know, there's people who will seek out things like yoga because they find that common being able to mindfully connect with their body. So it's really a personal preference at the end of the day, though I do, I want to be cognizant that right now, for, from what I know, those are the demographics I think would maybe should approach with a critical mind and maybe a curiosity and flexibility to step away. If they are curious to try it, just to be mindful that if it works great, if it doesn't, there will be other things that can be tried to find that healing work. Is part of what you're saying that you might need to do other things first or that somatic work may not be part of the process at all for some people? Great question. It's hard to say. I think there's so many factors to be considered. Perhaps an answer that would be most supportive of for our listeners would be if you're working currently with a clinician to have that discussion with them about what their thoughts might be based on what they know of your situation or if they don't know if they could have a referral for you to to Mm -hmm. find out more information you know I think there's always space to be able to revisit something when we're in a different space But it's really, I think it's hard for me to be able to say definitively what that might look like. And I think that's really just me wanting to be as considerate as I can for a wide demographic of listeners. Absolutely. And that idea, I think you ascribe like we do to the idea that the person is the expert of themselves. Mm -hmm. And that is an essential piece of this. Can you speak? either define or speak to what distress tolerance is? Ah, yes. Distress tolerance is essentially the capacity that we hold to move through discomfort in the most basic, basic of terms, where it comes into play when we're doing trauma healing we look at what's called the window of tolerance. And for those listeners who maybe don't know, the window of tolerance is this idea that we have, I guess, yeah, if you imagine a window, a a space Mm -hmm. where 
we feel engaged with our whole environment, we are feeling at peace with ourselves, or we can have, you know, wonderful conversations, we're feeling social, we're feeling active, almost like I've had the thought before of almost like you feel that spark, or you feel like ourselves. When we step out of that window, let's say if we go up, that's when we're leaning into feelings of anxiousness, or panic, or maybe unexplained by up, anger. You, by up, do you mean increased distress? Sorry, yes, yes. So when we're feeling distress and we leave that window, that's when we start feeling the anxiety, the panic. Let's say we step down out of that window. So if we're just imagining going mm. on either end, if we go down, that's when we're feeling a numbness or depressed moods or feeling detached. And distress tolerance is really learning about the things that we can do to stay in that window longer and making it bigger. Funnily enough, things that can also impact our, our window would be if we're hungry, if mm-hmm. anyone's heard of hanger. I am notorious. If we haven't slept, if we're feeling mm-hmm. sick, you know, these things may kind of like the, the window shrinks and grows, shrinks and grows. Mm-hmm. But notice that uh, I saw you guys laughing. We're like, yeah, we, we know hanger. What do we do if we're feeling hangry? We notice, and we're like, oh, I should probably get a Snickers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's right. tending. yeah, we're tending to our distress in that way. It's a, maybe a more humorous approach to explaining it, but it's the same thing if we're noticing we're getting agitated, something has triggered us, we're feeling anxious and panic. We mm-hmm. notice and we take steps to tend to that, kind of that figurative Snickers bar. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of tools that we can use that are somatic based and not to be able to do this. And, you know, I feel like the Snickers is maybe <laughs> like a more funny way to look at it. But how many of us go for a walk to clear our head? Or we go and we go to the gym or play a sport. Some of us paint or we listen to music. Those are tools to you that we use to come back into that window because what a beautiful place to be, to be able to engage in our environments and the people around us and to feel like we're a part of that in a beautiful way. We mm-hmm. seek it and being outside of it is uncomfortable. So distress tolerance really is learning to notice and to come back into that window mm-hmm. and to stop to stop when you're on the edges yeah of to the notice to, mm-hmm. if you can if you can mm-hmm. so one of our topics this season we usually do a couple of topics and our key topic this season is trauma-informed care mm-hmm. and so somatic options, resources, clinicians who specialize in it, um, even channels that do short somatic connecting to the body type things or Mm -hmm. use the senses. Oh, I could talk about the senses all day. (laughs) Utilizing the senses to be, to find your way into the window or back into the window of tolerance is super important. So I just wanted to make that quick connection that, you know, trauma informed, this is an aspect of trauma informed care yes. that, that you specialize in. And 
a couple of the resources that you actually have. You're an avid blogger and <laughs> you even have a couple of forms on Etsy, which I love as a Virgo geek <laughs> tracker of all things, <laughs> bullet journaler and all such. Mm-hmm in your own process, sometimes using those types of tools are, are really important. Mm-hmm. You, you yourself are a tool. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that there's so many avenues that we can incorporate trauma-informed care. I am a huge advocate. I feel like it should be part of our society in general, you know, how we're maybe experiencing healthcare you know, the care that we get from our doctors, you know, mm-hmm. from social workers to teachers, understanding how our body responds and how maybe behaviors change because of trauma, whether it be, you know, chronic or acute or what, whichever way you want to identify your experience, how we react as a society to these things makes a huge difference in mm-hmm. someone's experience because, the event itself can be so intense and the experience afterwards can make a big difference to how we move forward and the choices mm-hmm. that we make of what we want to do with it afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think there's definitely a disconnect and a lot of work that still needs to be done so that we can come together as a community to hold that support. Mm-hmm. Our, our cultures and our communities, whether it's the community in our own home or, you know, wider, you know, has a massive effect on the healing process. Mm-hmm. It can set you back extraordinarily far, you know, to not have certain support, to then have to deal with secondary traumas, mm-hmm. yada, yada. But also, you know, the belief systems that people have around trauma and and whether they understand anything about the impact on the body, the mind, the emotions, the the, the physical boundary, and all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that we pride ourselves on here at FOF is saying that and encouraging our listeners that they are their own best resource. Yes. And we know that you also have something similar with saying that clients... Uh, are an expert on themselves. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I feel that when doing this kind of work, there's it's necessary as a clinician to be able to spend more time understanding our clients than it is thinking up of fancy interventions. Mm. Because especially when it comes to trauma, when we don't have enough information, we're not going to be able to offer tools that are meaningful to that person. So as we were mentioning a little earlier, how not everyone's going to respond well to somatic interventions. Also, some people aren't going to want to do cognitive ones Mm -hmm. because of various reasons. You know, when we're in a state of fight and flight, we don't really access that part of our brain that wants to do math and talk fluently Mm -hmm. and and be impressive in that way because we're busy (laughs) surviving i learned a wonderful metaphor of for those who are a fan of uh, the marvel universe 
there's our Bruce Banner brain, which is the one that we're very, you know, we, we feel eloquent and we can talk all these fancy things. And then there's the Hulk brain, which is that fight and flight, that Hulk smash. Mm. And when we're in a space that we're triggered, try talking to Hulk and see if you get a car <laughs> smacked at you. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Right. And I feel like I went on a slight tangent. I'm hoping if you could repeat your question again so that I can bring it back gently. I think what, you, what you've done is actually given a, um, a tangible, right? A visual for the question. The idea that our clients are the expert. They're their own best resource. So they can determine for themselves how to use a resource if a resource works once they have the information. And that's yeah. kind of what you, what you just described with that analogy. Absolutely. It's, you know, I, in the work that I've been doing, first and foremost, there's psychoeducation using those, you know, whether it be the, the little exercise we did earlier about the little holding a rabbit in your palms visualization or the Hulk metaphor. Once we start understanding what's going on, we begin creating language about our experience, not the event, because we don't, we don't need to talk about that in that space at that time. But what your experience is, right now. Mm -hmm. And as we develop that language, we start finding which tools are the most meaningful. And that's really where the work is as a clinician to start in empowering the client to be their best resource and teaching them the language and the ways that they can advocate for themselves. Because the variety of interventions are vast and they're going to keep developing Thank goodness, because the more research, the better we want to be able to support everyone as best we can. But at the end of the day, you know, I can offer a toolkit of five things and maybe only two of them stick. I'm not going to keep repeating the other three because (laughs) it's not a fit. It's not a fit. And we, we toss them out. We find what was it about the two that worked and we continue that way. So I avidly encourage people as you're doing your healing journey to do the best you can to learn about yourself. And if you don't know, it's okay to not know as well, because I have a sneaking suspicion you're going to find out as you move through the healing journey and your language is only going to expand as you go. Well, I'm, I'm excited that I've, I've put, I put together, you know, we, we talk about the freak out free way mm-hmm. and, the freak out free way is to attempt to use resources in ways that aren't, we're not going to always be able to not be triggered. Right. I mean, that's yeah. unrealistic. However, what we do mean through the lens of this conversation is finding that window of tolerance to be able to use particular resources in mm-hmm. or know whether to use the window of tolerance and distress tolerance to know when and if a resource is the right one for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. I'm excited about that. That that just sort of just went to ding. You, know? you just had the light bulb. I had the light bulb. We I- had our first aha moment. All right. I love, that. I love that. So as we're kind of winding out down and, and wrapping up, we like to identify ways that listeners can best use resources that we've mentioned. So you, we've talked about, Therapy, using somatic therapy, 
versus or in relation to maybe cognitive therapy or, or cognitive talk therapy. And we've also talked about some of your, the things that you do as it relates to blogging and having some resources on Etsy. How would you recommend listeners access your resources? Do you think that certain resources are best depending on where you are on your healing journey? Or how would you categorize that for listeners? For the the resources I have up online right now, the approach I've taken, which I think has also been how I've been answering a lot of our questions here today, is trying to reach as many people as I can. And that's not to say that the information I offer is vague or too general, but rather stuff that can apply to all of us because mm -hmm. many of our nervous systems work the same way. And so you're very welcome to go to my website to check out my blog. It's just my name, annadonaldson.ca. And I'm also on Instagram as Therapy with Anna D. And on there, there's videos, there's posts, there's a lot of more of an approach of psychoeducation to build that understanding, just as I would do in session. And a couple of tools sprinkled in that I found to be particularly fun to do and that could be helpful. So I would say that there isn't really anyone I can think of that wouldn't benefit just from even learning about it, because even if it doesn't apply to you, there might be someone in your life that it could resonate with. And I think that's just as important. And it helps to learning the learning things like that also helps us to recognize it when it's happening in ourselves mm -hmm. anew, like in a new situation, or it's happening as we all are expanding our recognition of when mental health crises are happening with people around us. Yeah. You know, the more we know about those things, and I love your vocabulary words on your on your Instagram. Oh, and thank you. That's what I use. Yeah. Definitions of things. I, I, I like that. Love that. Um, as we have those tools, we can better help ourselves and the people that we're around. Yes, 100%. So beautifully said. Well, this has been a, an amazing conversation. Definitely some light bulb moments, which we always like when we have those on a hot mic. And I've learned some things just about how to explain the difference, right? The difference in the, in the types of therapies and how clients can use those. And I really appreciate you taking the time. And I love your passion, Anna. It's been great to kind of listen to you explain the work that you do and the passion you have for what you do. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor to be able to speak with you today. And I'm very hopeful that there's something that your listeners can take away from what we discussed. And yeah, this was a lot of fun. It's nice being able to nerd out a little bit. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Right in our room Absolutely. house. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thanks so much. And we will see you all next time on the FMF podcast. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Follow or subscribe for notifications to upcoming Freakout Free resources. Reviews are always welcome so we can keep doing what you enjoy and tweaking the rough edges. We would also love to hear from you. If you want your question answered live on a future podcast, go to our webpage linked in the description and click leave a voicemail on the right side of the page or post a comment on Instagram under this week's episode at Reset Trauma Unstuck.